Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So like I said, tonight, church, we're going to look at the last words that David spoke, but not right before he died. It's more like, well, this is the last formal declaration. And remember, we've been hanging out with David for well over six months, and we have learned to have a heart devoted to God. How so? Well, in our prayer time, we have seen prayers answered. We have seen, we have prayed, we have watched God move. We have seen people saved. I can't think of a time where where in this little church that somebody hasn't said yes to God. We've seen others repent and say, yes, I'm coming back to the Lord. Well, we're almost done with the series, and yet we have a few more weeks in the books of Psalms. Now, remember, David is going to, when you think of David, David dies at an old age and, and he's, he's just kind of, he dies one of those little deathbeds and he doesn't say much, but this is his last declaration, okay? And again, my prayer, my prayer is that, is that what would be the last words if the Lord called us home? What would be our last words? And I started to think about that as I began to prepare for this study. I started to think about last words before you go home. Last words, those very final last words. And unfortunately, many people who have entertained us or who we admire from afar, who have departed from earth, they've died. And and so I kind of went through and I said, I want to see, I'd like to see what some of, some of the last words of these famous people were, these celebrities. What did, what did they say before they died? Christian or non-Christian? What I found is going to shock you. I didn't put a whole many, but the first group would be celebrities. And, and the first one I found was Joan Crawford. You guys know Joan Crawford. And on the day she died of cancer, a couple of nurses tending her um, actually began to pray for her. Her last words before she died was this, quote, don't you dare ask God to help me, end quote. I thought, wow. Wow. That, that was it. Those were her last words. Don't you dare ask God to help me. This is kind of a silly one, but Humphrey Bogart, you remember Humphrey Bogart, and his last words before he dies says, quote, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. That's an interesting last words from Humphrey Bogart. Frank Sinatra, the famous singer Frank Sinatra, as he's saying goodbye to his wife, he's literally taking his last breath and hears his last words, I'm losing it. That's all he said, I'm losing it. I'm surprised he didn't say, I did it my way. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs basically was quoted saying, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. And then I got a little bit more intrigued, and I thought, "What? What are some of the, what are some of the craziest and creepiest things? Maybe not from celebrities." So I found a couple. Let me just give them to you. One of them said, "My grandfather on his deathbed said, quote, they have no eyes. They have no eyes.'" He says that still gives me chills. Can you imagine? Right before he died, they have no eyes. 
Another one said, the next time you wash me, I'll be dead. And he was talking about being in the nursing home and how the nurse would come and wash him, and this is what he said. This is another one that's kind of crazy. Was the last words recorded before he died? He's all in black. He's got a top hat on, and his eyes are red. Thought that was interesting, kind of creepy. Let me give you some funny ones. These are some funny ones of people who, these are the last words before they died. They said, the wallpaper is dreadful. One of us will have to go. And Oscar Wilde said that. The wallpaper (laughs) is dreadful. Well, we know who went. Emily Dickinson said, I must go in for the fog is rising. Michael Landon said, you're right. It's time. I love you all. I believe Michael Landon was was a believer in Christ. Nancy Astor said, I'm dying, or this is my birthday, and that was her question. Interesting, interesting. There's many, many more. There's so much, we wouldn't have time to go through, through them. What would be the last words? On a more serious note, let's take time to see a man after God's own heart, what his last words, quote-unquote, or prayer would be. We've been studying the life of David. Now, I want you to think about David for just a moment. Let me give you some background on David. You probably know this, but for the sake of our study, David is one of the most referenced people in the Bible with 66 chapters dedicated to him. According to scripture, David, you remember, is a young shepherd who earns recognition initially as a musician and then later by defeating who? Goliath. Do you remember that? He went and, and this big champion, you know the story, he's just a little boy and he has his faith in God and, and he takes five smooth stones and boom, next thing you know, Goliath is going to Goliath down and he's done. But then he becomes, if you recall, favored by King Saul. King Saul loved him. He became BFF, if you will, with with Saul's son, Jonathan. Troubled that David was seeking to obtain the throne, Saul turns on David. Do you remember that? There would be times that David would be worshiping in the presence and the evil spirit would come upon King Saul and he would get his spear and throw it at David. Can you imagine? We say tonight, hey, Anthony, come up and pick up your guitar. No, I don't like that. And I start throwing a spear at him. That wouldn't be cool at all. But this was David. This is his life. After that, both Saul and Jonathan were slain in combat, and David is chosen as king. And David captures Jerusalem, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to the security and securing the kingdom founded by Saul. But then remember what happens to David. David engages in adultery with Bathsheba. And after Bathsheba, David orders the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Because of this sin, God rejects David, the possibility of building the temple, 
His son Absalom tries to overthrow him. David escapes Jerusalem during Absalom's revolt. But after Absalom's death, he returns to rule Israel. Before his calm death, he anoints his son Solomon as heir. We have been walking with David. We have seen. We have seen when David was in a cave. We have seen when David was on the run. We have seen when David was praising God. We have seen David when he said, do you remember? I can't believe all the evil people are getting away with it, and they actually seem like they're prospering more than we. I don't understand, but he says, but trust the Lord. We've seen a lot with David, and the reason we picked David and the reason we picked Psalms is because it resonates so much with us. It's the same thing that you and I go through. We get frustrated in this world. If you'll watch the news for five minutes, you'll get frustrated. You'll get angry. You won't believe what's going on in the world. And so we want to resonate with Dave. Why? Because our Christian life has been, well, it hasn't been perfect. And so we can relate with David. Now, I hope none of you in here have put a hit on anybody, okay, like David did. I hope none of you have ordered the murder of somebody. I hope not. But the point is, is I love the Scripture because, well, because that's us. That's us. As a matter of fact, David's going to say in his last words in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke through me. The Holy Spirit spoke through me. And I was able to communicate and I was able to share. And so you and I, we walk away going, man, I can relate with David. I can hang out with Dave. Dave knows my heart. He knows that I get angry that that my coworker is, um, he doesn't even pray, doesn't give God, he says he doesn't even go to church. He's he's anti-God, he's atheist, he's all this, and he seems to be the one that's getting the promotions and the raises. I don't understand, Lord, I'm serving you. You know, I could be working later on Wednesday nights, but I'm not. I'm in church. Lord, I don't understand. Or many of us at times feel like we've been backed up into a cave, the cave of emotions or a cave of, of, just, of just being literally hurt. And so we kind of hang out there and we don't know what to do. And David always tells us, you need to keep your eyes on the Lord and focus on him. So with that as our introduction, I want to take a look at the last declaration of David. But here's my prayer, sincerely, that we would live a life so radical for God that our last words would always be to praise Jesus. Well, how do you know? How do you know? It's really simple to find out what's deep in your heart. Just go through something very hard or something scary. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was driving home from church. We had finished church. It was a great day. And over by my house on 82nd and, uh, you know, no, 82nd and Indiana, there's a pizza place. There's a pizza place that people like. You can go and, and it's, the pizza's not made. You just make it and then you take it home. There's a pizza place. The problem is, is there's not a left turn lane into the pizza place. You guys with me? 
So I'm driving home, and I'm just just reeling, and I'm about to meet my wife. I think we're going to go to lunch, and she's already home, and I'm going through like this. And so the car in front decides they want pizza, and they're going to make a left turn, but they stop in the middle of the lane. The car in front of him decides to stop because he doesn't want to rear-end them. I'm looking at the light to make sure it's still green. When I look up, I am going to wreck into this guy. And I literally slam on the brakes, and I can't tell you what came out of my heart. But it wasn't, praise the Lord! The reason I tell you that story is because when we run into that, your heart will tell you what's really in there. When you're hurt and troubled, a lot of times it's hard for us to run to Jesus. We want to complain. We want to, we want to be mad. We want to be angry. We want to throw things. We want to, whatever it might be. But the, the, what Christians need to learn is how we need to run to the Lord. And if you're taking note, jot this down. It's really hard to throw a fit when you're worshiping. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're about to lose it. And put on some worship music because it's really hard to be angry when you're worshiping God. So I want to see, I want to see what's in David's heart. David's been through it. Fugitive, away from family, everything taken away. See, we don't really understand because we haven't had all of it taken away from us. I read a story, a little bit of a story today that said, is Jesus enough? What would you say to that, church? Is Jesus enough? And you go, of course. Come on. Would you, is, Jesus, is Jesus enough for you? Now, we say that because we still have our bank account. We still have our homes. We still have our food. We still have everything. But let me ask you this. If everything was taken away from you today, is Jesus enough? See, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. If everything is my Jesus enough, is he enough? I want to know that whatever happens to us in these coming months, whether it be persecution, that Jesus is enough, guys, that, that we can say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, let's take a look at 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. It says this, Now, these are the last words of David. Thus David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Do you guys see that in verse 1? That's a very good verse to highlight, and it's very, very important. Why? Well, let me unpack it just a little bit. Okay, think about what David just said. David says, I am the man who was raised up so high, a man anointed by God of ja- by the God of Jacob. I am the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, the first thing you want to jot down right here, notice what David says. 
David says, okay, and, and here's what he really says. I know my identity. I know who I am in God. Why? Because Jesus hasn't come yet. Jesus hasn't, so he understands. Notice, again, notice very quickly. He was a man who was raised up. What does the Bible say? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and, and he'll raise us up. Okay? God raises us up. We need to understand that. David says, I'm a man who was raised up. I get it. Number two, he says, I'm a man who was anointed by God. Even in verse one, I'm a man who was anointed by God. And then he says, I'm a man who's the sweet psalmist of Israel. You go, cool. Now, if you just read that, that doesn't really mean anything to you. You go, David's writing it. I don't understand. But here, let's get some application. Let's pull this out. This is going to be so sweet to us. Why? Because do you realize, do do we, guys, here's the question. Do we as believers know our identity in Christ? Do we really know? You see, our culture is very interested even today in the journey of discovering individual identity. You guys know what I'm talking about. Whatever happened to him? Oh man, he went to find himself. Well, he didn't know who he was, so you've heard that so many times. He went and he, oh man, I just need to find myself. I just need to find, we're always looking for who we are. And that's our culture. You go, well, how so? Personality tests? Okay, dream assessments, oh, wow. Even some of us in this room with the uh, BuzzFeed quizzes, right, that are available everywhere you look on, on social media. Oh, well, let's see, if I just put in this, this will tell me what kind of a lion I am or whatever it might be. What kind of rose would you be? Well, I'm the rose of Texas. I mean, it's just, there's just all kinds. I, I'm just as guilty. I want to see, but I don't do that because I don't want people to go, Pastor Ben, you're weird. <laughs> but here's why. Culture today, it seems like everyone is searching for something to tell them who they are, where they belong, and how they relate to the world. The Bible says that all men and women are created in God's image. We are created in the Imago Dei. Can I get an amen? Amen. You see, humankind was created to reflect some of God's wonderful attributes. You can look for your identity anywhere, but followers of Jesus are called to find their identity in him. You see, David, in the very first verse, before he even starts his prayer, knows who he is. And I think that's going to be one of the greatest things that you and I have to discover is who we are in Christ. What's our identity? Guys, we all know that we're sinners. Nobody has to tell me I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know I blow it. I know. If you're walking with Jesus, you struggle with this every day. Let's be honest. Can we be honest in church tonight? Come on, that didn't sound very, you're like, yeah, no, don't want to be honest. (laughs) Move on, pastor, move on. Can we be honest in church? How many of us ever struggle with the fact that we go, man, I wish there wasn't a God because then I could just live how I want to live. 
We struggle with that from time to time because we realize the Holy Spirit lives in us and the very thing that we are doing is not pleasing to the God we love. That's exactly, so, so there's a struggle there. It doesn't make you bad. You just go, ah. But you would never trade that for being unsaved. Because if you want to see what somebody who lives like that there is no God, they have no fear of God, they have no concept of God, there's plenty of people, politicians and such, that live exactly like that. They don't fear God at all. And they're rich, and they're popular, and they have everything you could ever imagine, but they don't have God. They don't have God. If I was going to be your enemy, if I was going to be your enemy, the one thing I would do is try to strip you or, or, or convince you that you have no identity. This is not who you are. I don't, I don't want you to understand the power and who you are in Christ. Because then that causes you to strive. Oh, I gotta strive. I gotta, who am I? Where am I? Where do I fit? And this is, David already knows this and this is such great, it's just such great application for us. And you go, Pastor, why? Because think about this. When you understand and, and it moves from head knowledge to heart knowledge, that's where the rest and the peace comes in. You know who you are in Christ. And then you don't have to try to please anyone. But you're always wanting to please the Lord. Okay, okay. So let's talk about identity. Let me give you, uh, let me give you five. I, I have five real quick. Um, you can jot these down. Okay, five things, just jot these down. Our identity in Christ. Number one, you are loved. You are loved. In Christ, you are loved. You were, listen to me, created with a purpose. You have to know that. You're not just random. I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. God created you with a purpose. And here's the thing. You're, you're not just a convenient carbon copy of someone else. You were created uniquely and with intention. Don't you love that? He loves you. He loves you. Can I tell you what, what people, what their biggest struggle is? Their biggest struggle is they don't feel loved. And yet God says, I love you. I love you just the way you are. And aren't you glad he didn't make us all the same? That would be boring. You said, well, I would really like a lot like me. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You love, I love the fact that God made all of us different with different personalities. Right? Different looks. Different, just different ideas. It's okay. But you know what we all have in common? We're loved by God. We're loved by God. And somehow, Christian, we often think that, well, God loves me, but he doesn't love that person. He doesn't love this person. He doesn't love this guy. He doesn't love that celebrity. He loves everyone. Because you know what you and I see? We see the outer part. We see the behavior. God sees their heart. 
Number two, jot this down. Your identity is you are chosen. You are chosen. See, in Christ, you are not only loved, but you are chosen. What does that mean? Well, God sent his son to earth to die in your place so that you could be included in his family. You understand. You understand the difference. You know what it's like to go to some... Wouldn't it be weird to go to somebody else's family reunion? Right? Like, let's say Eva says, Pastor Ben, I'm having a family reunion and I just show up. That I would feel really out of place. It'd be like all these aunts and uncles and all this stuff, and they're like, who are you? Who are you related to? No one. I'm just here. <laughs> Somebody said, I, there's cake. But when you go to your own family reunion, how do you feel? Wow. I'm accepted. I'm part of the family. This is cool. This is cool. This is cool. Now, what happens with family reunions? Well, you always have those cousins that are weird. You always have that uncle that's trying to be funny. We always have, right? It's family reunion. But that's us. How many times have I told you, God's family is so amazing, but we're a bunch of misfits. We're a bunch of 50% off the rack kind of thing. We're a bunch of one leg is longer than the other kind of, I mean, that's us, and I love it. I love it. Because the body of Christ isn't some super elite, well, you have to be in this category to be in Christ. He says, no, 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 no. Man, I, I like the misfits. That's us. Number three, you got to jot this down. You need to know this. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You go, Ben, that's commonplace. Yeah. No, no, no. Think about it. In God's eyes, if you've accepted what Jesus did for you, you are completely forgiven. From his perspective, you are without sin. Why? Because he sees his son Jesus in you. Check that out. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Okay, okay, come on. Let, let, let's do a test here. Let's do a test since, since I got gotcha. you. How many of you know you're a sinner? Well, right? We know we're a sinner. Thank you. We're sinners. We blow it. We're messed up, right? We should be the biggest bunch of walking around with the biggest smile on our face because that sin is forgiven. Come on. We should be like, how you doing? I'm doing great. Right? Why? I'm forgiven. My sins are forgiven. Yeah, but you just fell off your bike and hurt yourself. I did, but my sins are forgiven. No matter what happened. You know what I mean? This is, this, I mean, we're forgiven. Think about that. When God looks at us, he's not looking. He's not going, oh, oh, that's, that's Cherie right there. Oh, I don't know how to tell her. I'll send, I'll send Michael to tell her. I mean, he sees, he's going, man. You know what God sees? He goes, boom, 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 boom. That's my daughter. That's my daughter. The enemy comes and goes, yeah, but you didn't see what she did to Tony the other night. And God goes, that's my daughter. And vice versa. Number four. You're redeemed. And this is key. This is key. Jot this down. Why? Because what does your forgiveness mean? 
you are redeemed. What is, listen, Christ's sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection brought you back from the forces of sin and evil that once owned you and controlled you, and God made you his. That's so good. That's so good, right? Why? Because the gospel, the gospel isn't, it, it changes how you behave. Why, why would it change how I behave? Why would it change? Here's why. Listen, it's so cool. It changes how you behave because you realize that I don't have to deal with those, the, the forces of sin and evil anymore. I, I belong to God. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. See, when God looks at you, get get this, get this, this is key. David understood this in his time. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a former sinner. He does not see you in the light of who you once were. He sees you redeemed, a new creation that has been made whole. Now that should put a hallelujah and an amen in our step. When God sees you, he doesn't go, oh, let me see your resume. Oh, yeah, no, you're not qualified for this job. You can't go to heaven. He goes, no, 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 here's what I see. I see you're a new creation. I see you're a new creation. You're whole. You're whole. Here's our problem. All of our lives, we have to try to define ourselves in light of our past mistakes. Always trying to make up for them. Well, you know, let me see. Well, this is why. Or this is because. And I can't. No, no, no. Listen. God doesn't do that. See, you can walk in the identity of someone who is made new in Christ. The devil comes in and goes, your past, you go, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but you made mistakes. Yeah. That's why Jesus died. We all make mistakes. We all make bad choices. Come on, if we're honest, we're all the same. We make bad choices. We make mistakes. We don't always do what's right. But that's where grace comes in. That's our identity. Last but not least, number five, jot this down. You're adopted. You're adopted. It means that you've been adopted into his family. You are considered a legitimate child of God having all the rights and standing of Jesus, his son. That's different. You're adopted. You're adopted. See, David starts off, he says, I know who I am. But here's the thing. Do you know who you are in Christ? And you go, yeah, you just told me five things. No, 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 but do you know who you really are? Are you walking in these? Because it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your life. I promise. I promise. Well, as we continue on, it goes in verse 2 of Second Samuel 23. It says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was in my tongue. In other words, what David says is the Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are a upon my tongue. And here's what I love. If you take a note, David affirms the divine the inspiration of his writing. He goes, yeah, God, God was speaking to me. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. And that's why when you read the Psalms, it was like the Lord speaking through David at this point. 
You see, because sometimes when we read the Psalms, right, when we read any Psalm, and we'll take a Psalm, and, and let's look at Psalm 5. You don't have to turn there, because this is completely, um, I just picked five, because Sofa's going to do it last week, but then realized that I had already done it. David writes this, he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, but notice Psalm 5 says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, in the morning. I will direct it to you and I will look up. See, this is not just, oh, I can relate with Dave. This is the Holy Spirit moving through Dave and speaking and speaking. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Nor shall evil dwell with you. So here's what David's saying. David's saying, everything that I do is through divine inspiration. And I want you to think about the Psalms we've covered so far. It's divine inspiration. But let's take it to another level. Does, here's the question, does the Lord speak by you? Is his word always on your tongue? That's key. That's key. When someone comes up to you and says, hey, can I talk to you? Or, hey, I'm needing some help. Or, hey, we should always direct them. It should always be in the Word of God. Well, here's what God's Word says. Well, here's what God does. Here's, here's, here's where we should be. His Word is always on our tongue. Yeah, Pastor Ben, but we live in a culture that people don't want to hear it. I know they don't. But that's our identity, is it not? That's who we are. This is how we speak. This is how we speak. It goes on in verse 3. It says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. He shall... Be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by a clear, by clear shining after rain. Now, verses 3 and 4, David's praying. Here's his prayer. These are his last words. He's going, this is what God spoke to me. This is what God spoke. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment because a lot of times we go, hey, you know what? God spoke to me and it really wasn't God, was it? Sometimes you and God sound a lot alike. And you're going, well, God really spoke to me, and it wasn't the Lord. But David says, no, 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 I know God spoke to me. You know how I know? Because he said, look what he says. And here's what I love. Listen to me, church. Some of David's last words that he even spoke here are great for leaders and individuals. I mean, wow. Listen, if you really want to prosper, and I have to be careful with that word, but if you really want to be prosper and grow in your job, grow in your career, grow in your home, grow in life in general, you need to note the principles. You go, what are the principles? First one is he says, the one who rules over men, he must be just. Okay? You go, what does that mean? He must rule righteously. In your job, You need to do it as unto the Lord righteously. You go, well, Ben, I don't rule over anybody. No, 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 no. Let's take a moment to unpack this. When we're called to be leaders, come on, somebody, 
in our homes, in our jobs, in our community, in the church, we must take that responsibility seriously. And we must rule, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle that word rule and put lead, serve, lead slash serve. Why is that important? Because that's what, what, that's what really ruling is. Uh, a ruler is just to be a great leader and a great servant. He says, we must take it seriously, church, and we must do it righteously. We must do it righteously. What a great, in your job right now, wherever you are, you who rule over men, you must be just. What does that mean? Don't play favorites. Oh, I really like this guy, but I don't like this guy. And this and this. It's, no, no, you know what? Here, I'm going to do it righteously. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. Number two, great, great lesson. He says you need to rule in the fear of God. Rule in the fear of God. One who rules, one who slash leads and serves, serves and leads, has to be in the reverential fear of God. He's not saying that you have to be afraid of God. If you're going to lead, you must be, oh, God's going to strike me dead if I don't do this. Because that's not the case. The case is that reverential, I know who God is. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you fear him and when you say he's God and he's wonderful and he's loving and he's merciful and I don't ever want to presume upon the grace of God, I love you, Lord, but I need to rule. How? How so? I'm going to rule in the fear of God. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lead. When you're asked to do something at your job, please don't do it complaining and drowning have to do this and not somebody else do it. That's not what God calls us to do. When God tells you to do something in your home and you want to be a leader in your home, you want to be a servant in your home, you do it in the fear of God. Great principles for us to learn. Because then he goes on and he says this, Then... We will be like the light of the morning sunrise. If you get up early in the morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Not as early as Joe Mabry, because that's early. But we're going to be like the light. You know when that light first comes up, Joe? And you see it, and it's like, oh. That's he said. When you rule like that, when you serve righteously with the fear of the Lord, you're going to be this. You're going to be like the morning without clouds. You go, but I like clouds. That's not, he's not talking about liking clouds or not liking clouds. He says, you're going to be like the, like the grass gleaming after that wonderful rain. Ah. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but my wife said this the other day. I want you to think about rain for just a moment. Think about rain. I'm not talking about the Lubbock rain that is always angry, okay? <laughs> and it's just like, it's rainy, and everybody gets scared for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about that sweet rain that all of a sudden you walk out and you're like, oh, it smells fresh. It smells clean, right? Isn't that cool? I believe, I believe when you, the principle, when you rule, lead, serve, 
righteously, when you rule, lead, serve in your house, your career, whatever it might be, when you rule, lead in the fear of God, you're going to smell good. You're going to smell good. You go, wait a minute, I'll just put on cologne. No, no, no. You're going to have that smell like, wow. You you smell like fresh rain. You smell, this is what David says. This is what David says. Now, Go back to verse 3. He says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. Okay, here's what he's saying. These are his last words. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Here's what I want you to think about for just a moment. If you were dying, would these be your last words? You go, what do you mean? These that are David? No, no, no. Praising God for all that he has done in our lives. You see, our prayer should be, Lord, I'm going to have to need an attitude check. Because I want I want this. And here's where our attitude has to be. You ready? No matter the circumstances in my life, his words will always be upon my lips. His praise will always be in my heart. Let me give you a biblical example. You know the story, but it's the story of Job. Do you remember Job? Job was just minding his business. He was minding his own business. And you recall, the first few chapters of Job, you're just like, wow. I mean, before one could get done, another calamity and another calamity and tornadoes and all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden he looks down and he's got boils all over. I mean, this is not good. This is not good. And what I love, I love about Job is that he never spoke bad of God. He never said, he never blamed God. He never said, oh, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Do you remember what his wife said? His wife said, you must have sinned. Just curse God and die. Job writes in Job chapter 2, verse 10, but he said to his wife, You speak as of one of the foolish women speaks. Why? Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay. Truth time. I don't think I've... Whenever there is adversity, even strong adversity, have I ever said, praise the Lord? You know, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer six years ago, I don't think I jumped up and said, amen, praise God, this is good. Okay, God, you're going to show yourself real. You know what I thought? Oh, great. Now now I'm going to be alone. She's going to die. 
But we have to get to the point, church, I'm just being honest. We have to get to the point where we see what Job sees. He says, listen, we all accept a good. Are you kidding me? This is great. We accept the good and the blessings. But sometimes when adversity comes, we need to say, man, praise God, he's still good. Oftentimes we think that the God of the universe crosses his arm and he has it in for us. And we base it upon whether we're good little boys or good little girls. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is because he loves us. We're saved. And he's not sitting here going, okay, Joe, get out of line one more time. Watch this. And he's sitting there waiting and angry, and that's how we think God is, and that's not who God is. That's not who God is. But adversity happens, and trials happen. And I have to check my attitude and say, Lord, what am I putting in? What am I putting in? Well, David continues, and he says in verse 5, And although my house is not so... Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and all my desire. He will, he will not make it increase? And it's a question mark. What's he saying? Is this not my family of God chosen? Yes, he's made an everlasting covenant. Now, you guys got to grasp this. Why? Because in this last words, he says, David reminds us that God is the one who chose him. And God is the one who chose us. Think about it. He sent his son Jesus because he loves us so much. And oftentimes you'll hear people say, I found the Lord. Do you ever hear that? Like he was lost or something? But that's not the case. It was God who found us. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he opened up our hearts to, to receive his grace and mercy. And we can rest in Christ because just like David said, he will guarantee, ensure our salvation, our safety, and our success. Now, let's unpack it just a little bit more. Think about this. Think about this for just a moment. David is, is, is praising God, but he doesn't come, he doesn't come from a long line of, of being with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born into royalty. David was a shepherd boy, man. He was, he was just out there working. And he realizes this. And that's why, guys, if you, if you want to jot that, he says, although my house is not so with God, yet he had made it. He says, he says who am I? <laughs> my house. He says, he made an everlasting covenant. And he had ordered all things secure. For this is my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? And you go, yeah, yeah, but didn't we just learn about David? Yeah, we learned about David. David was far from perfect. Can I get an amen? But that's the point. The salvation is because of who Jesus is, not because of who David is. Think about what David did. David was on the fast track to, man, this is good. And then he steps out and he sees Bathsheba and he says, hubba, hubba. And he brings her in. And he goes, who's this girl? It's the wife of Uriah. Wait, did you say wife? Oh, don't worry about it. I'm the king. And it was just, it was all downhill from there. 
It was all downhill from there. You ready? Catch this. But it wasn't that God said, Oh, David, you were saved up until you brought Uriah, up until you killed Uriah. You missed it. Man. Because God's covenant is what? Everlasting. And he says, and David says, You don't understand. I get it. I get it. I have blown it. Not that I want to. Come on, people, because we don't condone sin. I've blown it, but God is making sure that my salvation is a success. The point is this. It's God who's our safety. It's God who's our salvation. And it's God who will see us through. It's God who knows all about us and still loves us and saves us. We'll make it, not because of us, but because of him. Verse 6. But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because he cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Notice what David is saying. He says, The godless are like thorns to be thrown away, for they tear up the hands that touches them. He says, One has to use an iron uh, to, to chop them down, or, or they're going to be, or they'll be totally consumed by fire. What's David doing? You ready? Jot this down. David anticipated the judgment of the ungodly who persecuted Abraham's seed. David has already anticipated this judgment. As a matter of fact, write this down. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. The Lord says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Who's he speaking about? Abraham. David grasped this. He's going, okay. But I love the application that you and I can glean from this. You go, what's that? If we are persecuted here on earth, we know that our enemies are going to be judged by God. We can live in victory knowing that ungodly people are not going to rule and reign forever. Now, you ready? You were created in God's image. You're God's kids. Now, here's what I love, right? You and I, we have a natural response to protect, protect those we love from harm's way. Okay? It's a natural response. Now, I'm going to use Pastor Soph because he's sitting right here and he's, he's strong as an ox. But if somebody were to break into Pastor Soph's house and Yvonne was there and Manai was there and Yvonne's mom or whatever, Soph is not going to go, oh, um, mm, wow, okay, listen, come on in. He's not going to do that. His natural response is to protect his family. His natural response is to protect his daughter. That's You understand that. And that's what God says. You're my kids. His natural response is, I'm going to protect you from the enemies. I'm going to protect you. I got you. I got you. I got you. Now, although God is protecting us, he's going to say, nobody's going to hurt you. But the enemy, listen to me, he will come in subtle ways. You go, well, like what? Well, number one, let me give you a subtle way that he comes this. He comes by ripping off our joy. 
He rips, he rips that off. You can, I mean, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Have you ever been to a retreat, a women's retreat, men's retreat, whatever it might be, and you guys are on top, everybody's the best retreat, you're on top of the hill. The moment you get down, it seems like the enemy comes in and tries to rip off that joy that you had. Number two, he tries to destroy our marriages. He's trying to destroy our marriages. Oh, but pastor, I love her. She loves me. No, the enemy comes in. You have to work really, really hard in your marriage. In your life. And in your walks. He does it subtly. Well, what else does he try to do? He tries to compromise. He tries to get us to compromise and blow our testimony. That's what he tries to do. Now, as we close, that was David's last words. But as we close, I want you to remember, these were not the last words before he died. But it makes me wonder how many people, when they're about to die, what comes from their heart? Nathalie's grandma was well in her 90s, 95, 96 when she passed. And her last words, she kept saying in Spanish, Jesus, 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 like, like she saw him in the room. That's all she said. And she would pray, and, and, and what a great testimony that is. It's, it wasn't that I'm scared and I'm going to cry out to God because I'm dying. God, please. It was, it was a term of endearment. It was my, my Jesus. My Jesus. Let me leave you with this. Let me leave you with this. Every one of us in this room knows what a sponge is. Okay? If you were to take a sponge, okay, and it's dry, and you said, okay, it's dry, and you were to squeeze that sponge, nothing would come out. It's dry. You understand that, right? But if you took that sponge and you saturated it in water, and you let it in there, and all of a sudden you see the bubbles, and it's just getting heavy and heavy, and you took up that sponge and you went like this, what would come out? The water. Why? Because it's saturated with the water. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful illustration. You and I are a sponge. When death comes and wants to squeeze us, maybe, may we be so saturated with the word of God that that's all that comes out. May we be so saturated with joy and peace and love and grace. But we've got to be saturated. Why? Because you can't put a sponge inside a bucket of water and pull it out right away. It's not saturated. You have to leave it in there for a long, long time. And then when they start to squeeze, here's what comes out. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Lord, David's words. Lord, just a, just a great reminder of who you are and all that you're doing. Father, my prayer to you is that you would clean, cleanse my heart, O oh God.
Cleanse my heart, Lord. Make it ever true. Cleanse my heart, O God. May I be like you. Lord, there's not a one of us in this room that knows our appointed time. But I know this, while we're on earth, we can saturate our heart and our, and our minds and all of us with you, with your love. Forgive us, Lord, for putting other things and making it more priority. Forgive me, Lord. May my life be saturated in you. Thank you for another beautiful Wednesday night. And we thank you for your word, God, and the truth that we can pull out of your word. May we be reminded tonight of our identity in you. And never let us lose that. Father, we may live on earth. We may live in Lubbock, Texas, but we're a citizen of heaven. And our identity is wrapped in you. I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, and I'm adopted. That's who I am in Christ. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.